Welcome to Arrows on Air, presented by Tomorrow's Air. I'm Christina Beckman, and this is a show where we meet artists, travelers, and scientists from all over the world to talk about art, travel, and climate action. Hello and welcome. Today, I am joined by Genevieve Hathaway a travel and documentary photographer passionate about telling stories that empower conservation, women, and local communities. Genevieve's assignments have taken her across the Middle East and North Africa, Pakistan, and Peru. She's an artist for AIR with Tomorrow's AIR and is also a member of Equal Lens, a nonprofit championing the work of women and non-binary photographers. In this conversation, we talk about how Genevieve translated her twin passions for climbing and archaeology into a creative global career, what it's like hiking and climbing with Bushra Baibanu, an alpinist and the first Moroccan and first Moroccan woman to climb the seven summits, and how jobs in travel are supporting desert nomads adapting their lifestyles in a changing environment. I really appreciate Genevieve's philosophy of connection first, pictures second, something I think applies even outside the photography realm reminding us that relationships are the foundation for everything. Genevieve has created images and stories for a range of tourism industry clients and publications, including Innovation Norway, National Geographic Traveler India, Lonely Planet, The Seattle Times, many, many more. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, good morning, Genevieve Hathaway. Thank you for being here with me today. Good morning, Christina. It's lovely to be here. How um how are things going? You're in Seattle, I think, is that right? Yes, I'm in Seattle right now. I've been here for um a little over a year due to the pandemic. Normally I'm you know traveling to quite a few countries. I split my time between Seattle, the Middle East, and Peru. And I've because of the pandemic, like everyone else in the world, I've been here in one place. This is the longest I've been in one place for at least 15 years uh, for this stretch wow. of time. So yeah, it's definitely been an adjustment. I love Seattle, but uh, normally my life takes me to a lot of other places. So it's been interesting being here in one place for now it's you know well over a year, which is pretty crazy. So you, we met through the Adventure Travel Trade Association, and you're also one of Tomorrow's Air Artists for Air. And so this explains um, your traveling life. But so give us a little bit of background. I know you focus on your photography now and storytelling through your photographs, but I think in the past you also have had a travel company and, yes. and you started a rock climbing magazine yes absolutely so um just real quick yeah a little bit about sort of um my different uh, endeavors over the years um i did start a tour company called archaeoventure tours that um in addition to being a photographer and a storyteller and a videographer um i ran that company for the past five years we focused on travel to the middle east and north africa and it grew out of my work in the region as a photographer going to all these amazing places, meeting all these incredible people, um, really wanting to help promote you know, responsible tourism, sustainable tourism, as well as helping to empower local women tourism professionals, 
the Whole Women Guides really help get them work and help travelers see the Middle East in a different way, in the way that I experienced it as a photographer working in the region. And so um, we ran that for the last five years. Uh, but with COVID, as with most tour companies, everything is shut down. And so we're not sure what's going to happen with with the tour company, um, if we're going to end up pivoting it to something else, um, you know, it'll still exist in some form, um, you know, in trying to help people uh, travel in the Middle East and have a wonderful experience. Um, but I, in addition to being a photographer, I did that over the last couple of years. And prior to becoming a photographer, I did run a women's climbing magazine, the first women's climbing magazine in North America, um, again, trying to help tell the stories of uh, women climbers and um, get those narratives out there. And that actually kind of led me to photography, which then has led me to where I am now. So uh, my life definitely has not been a straight line at all. What was the... um... What was the launch into the Middle East from a, I mean, I know you as a very fair skinned, redheaded <laughs> North American, how did you end up in the Middle East and spending so much time there? That's a, that's a great question. I get asked that one all the time when people see me <laughs> and say, wait, you do what now and where? Right. Um, I grew up just being fascinated by ancient Egypt. I just thought it was really interesting. I loved archaeology as a kid. You know, like most of us, I watched Indiana Jones, Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, um, just all these adventure and archaeology uh, shows as a kid and um, got really interested in history and, and archaeology, in particular ancient Egypt. My parents went there uh, right before I was born. So I grew up with photos of, um, you know, pictures of Egypt and stories as a little kid. Genevieve, you're one of those kids who actually grew up and did the thing they dreamed about doing. You know how people say, yes. what, what would your life be like if you did what you thought you wanted to do when you were five? And yes, I did. <laughs> so, I love that. My son is very interested also right now in Egypt and also in rocket science. And it is really interesting the way kids talk about things and how even as an encouraging parent, you find yourself sounding a little dismissive, you know, like, yeah, you could go to the moon. I say, of course, you can do anything. Of course. But what a neat so that's really cool. Yeah, and and because, yeah, as you said, like you never know how life's gonna work out. Your kid may end up totally going to the moon or Mars right. someday. It's funny how these roads and you know as we go through life um, can take us on different paths. And and I, for me, it started off as small steps. Uh, I always was interested in archaeology, and I studied it in university in addition to biology. I, I double majored in biology and archaeology, but I knew I was going to go to Egypt and study Egyptology ever since I learned that you could study abroad in high school. And I was like, that's how I'm going to get to Egypt. That's how I'm going to be able to do all these things and learn from the people I've been reading books about. Because I read all these books by these famous archaeologists who were the ones teaching in Egypt at the American University in Cairo. So what a better experience. Um, and so I just knew that's what, that was what my foray into ancient Egypt was going to be. So mm. I, I first lived in Egypt uh, when I was 20 as a study abroad student, which was an incredible experience and one of the best things I've ever done. Um, and it was just fascinating, but that was my first time 
in the Middle East. I'd been to Turkey um, in 2001, right before I started university, um, and then lived in Egypt. I used that all sorts of time to travel to Jordan and travel to other countries around the region while I was living there, um, and just was fascinated by the people, the place, the history. It just absolutely like stole my heart and captured my imagination. And so after graduating mm -hmm. with a degree in archaeology, I did go on and I worked in university, or sorry, I worked in, um, in uh, museums and in Ireland and uh, Seattle and a number of other places. Uh, I studied more, what I focused on was human remains and archaeological sites. So I studied more ancient dead people, um, which and takes so you out of museum work. It was your academic, um, your academic focus that led you to these different places. It was, and but I always kept getting this this calling in my heart to go back to the Middle East, and so mm. I, I got an invitation from. Um, someone that I had studied abroad with in Egypt to come back as the Arab Spring was starting. And this was also as I was just starting to go down the road of being a photographer and got an invitation to help him kind of advise him on starting a tour company and help with a little bit of logistics because I knew Cairo really well and I, I knew the, the archaeological sites really well. When you go to Egypt, mostly you go and see the archaeological sites. And so that took me back for the Arab Spring. Um, so I got to, you know, help him launch that as well as doing my photography, telling stories about women and tourism. Like I lived on Tahir Square where it's where you saw all the protests mm -hmm. happen and everything. And it was so different than how the media showed it. And every time, and the, and the Middle East working the last 15 or so years in the Middle East really showed me that the news is really about, I mean, in some ways it does tell what's going on, but in other ways there's an agenda of like, to get eyeballs. And so anytime there was a pause in the news, they were like, let's find, you know, the five protesters on, or the 10 protesters on Tahir Square and make Egypt seem like this big, scary place. And I'd see the news and I'd be living there and I'd be like, it's not, it doesn't correlate. Like they would just, you know, the Middle East, anytime there was a break in the sort of something else, they'd try to fill it with whatever small sort of thing they could makes seem scary, but without it was taken out of context. But there were all these other great stories I was finding of hope, of positivity, especially um, I'm very inspired by um, what women do. And so very early on, I was drawn to trying to tell stories about women, about how women were breaking the molds and doing you know amazing mm -hmm. things in the Middle East, which usually people think the Middle East and they think women are disempowered and don't have a voice, but there are so many incredible women, whether it's in the tourism field, whether it's in science, whether it's in um, anything who are, um, you know, leaders in their communities who are doing incredible work, who have such inspiring stories. So I really believe that it's important to be authentic to the subject matter of the story and not necessarily the like, final objective of the whatever the of the organization like you have to honor the client but you also need to make sure that you're really that because the, that you're really honoring the people whose story you tell or the subject matter for example with you know things like what we're doing with tomorrow's air and and cleaning up the you know the atmosphere moving removing carbon from the atmosphere part of that is understanding the science and really trying to understand from the scientists and the people working on this project who are devoting their lives to it or so much of their time to it really understanding how these different systems work really understanding the challenges um really trying to get a grasp of 
of the whole story and not coming in with my preconceived ideas, like do your homework, but also then listen. Mm -hmm. So let's go to Morocco because I think there's a lot um, to share here. So you were on an assignment with Planetara and, and it sounds like, and from, you know, listening to your process, you spend years in these places. So um, how, how, what happened in Morocco? What was, what got you started there? And let's, I'm really interested in hearing about some of the specific people you met and what we can Absolutely. learn from them. Um, I love Morocco. I've been, uh, let's see, I've been every year for the last six years. This last year was the first year I hadn't actually been to Morocco um, in, in over six years, which is, which was a little crazy uh, that it wasn't because normally I go um, for at least a, a couple of weeks every single year and work on different projects. So I've been going there for a while um, when Plantera approached me and because I also worked with their parent company, G Adventures, on a number of tourism assignments. And so Plantera knew that I um, knew quite a bit about Morocco. And so they actually approached me wanting me to go and photograph this incredible organization called Affair, Afar Affair. Um, it's a nonprofit organization in the Middle Atlas. So it's kind of uh, a little the northern part of Morocco, if you look at the map, kind of near Fez and Mechanis. And they do uh, work with women throughout that region, helping women um, get everything from education. They usually, they teach English classes to learning about their rights in Morocco. A lot of these are, are you know, they work with uh, rural communities. And so those women may not know what their rights fully entail. They also help them gain access to medical care, as well as learning skills so that they can have um, their own income. So things like um, making soap, and sewing things, little skills that they can do at home that then they can sell. Because when women have an actual source of income, then they have more agency over their own life. And so in these rural communities, um, you know, just even the smallest amount of income gave these women self-confidence, gave them uh, a much more ability to uh, make decisions about their own life. Um, if a situation wasn't good at home, they had options to leave. Um, and they also supported these women in, like I said, in uh, what were their rights within Morocco and resources they could get access to. While I was there on all my multiple trips, um, I also spent time photographing um, Morocco's first adventure uh, adventure woman, uh, Boutro Babano. She was the first woman to summit Everest. She's the first Moroccan to complete the seven summits, which for anyone listening who doesn't know, those are the seven tallest peaks uh, the tallest peaks on each of the different uh, continents. So there's seven of them because we have seven continents. And she systematically went through and summited all these mountains. And she's an incredible lady. She inspires me. She was a software engineer working in Rabat, climbed Mount Fuji with her husband, and or, sorry, Mount, uh, sorry, Mount Kilimanjaro with her husband, and just got inspired and said, well, if I've done one, because uh, Kilimanjaro is the tallest mountain on Africa, the African continent. She's like, well, there's six to go. And she summited Everest a few years ago, went to Africa or went to Antarctica. Um, she went and did Denali. She just so let's, slowly so worked away. So you were what? So you were in her. How did you meet her again? So um, I'm a, also a climber. 
And um, mm-hmm. I climbed for climbed for many, many years. I do rock climbing, mountaineering, ice climbing. Um, I taught climbing here in Seattle for a long time. So through the climbing community, I, and having gone to Morocco, uh, different friends of the climbing community said, oh, there's this um, woman in Morocco who's trying to complete the, the seven summits. And, and say her name again. Um, Boutra, Boutra Babineau. And she, uh, so I got to know her. So you called her up. So I sent her an email and I said, hey, I'm in Morocco. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to photograph you. I had worked with uh, an online publication called, a a nonprofit called the Outdoor Women's Alliance, who I knew would just be, you know, love her story. And so I said, I'd love Mm -hmm. to work with you on, um, to photograph you and tell your story in the Outdoor Women's Alliance. They think it's so inspiring and it changes how people see the Middle East. You know, there's so much misconception, as mentioned earlier, about women in the region. And if you present to someone who thinks women are just oppressed there, this lady who's, you know, summoning mountains and, Mm -hmm. you know, doing what, you know, challenging how women are even perceived in Morocco, it really shakes up how, you know, how anybody would view women in, in that and part so of the world. Did you go climbing together? So she says, sure, I'd like to meet you. Yeah. And so we met up, we first together. The first time I photographed her was in, was in Rabat in her home, in her home, in her hometown. And, and we hmm. did a little photo shoot there. And then I came back, um, I photographed her a couple of times over the next few years. So the first one was just a short uh, photo story, a little article in the Outdoor Women's Alliance, but she was just starting the journey. She'd only done at that point three of the peaks and she was setting her side in Everest. So every year when I come back to Morocco, I went and photographed her. We went and, um, you know, we would do some uh, hiking or, or go in hmm. and see where she would train in Rabat. And um, then I went back and photographed her right after she completed it uh, two years ago. And um, so, you know, shared, got the stories in a few different small publications. How does she, how does she view her story? Like what does she see herself as because I would imagine you could tell her story from a lot of different perspectives. And there's also a, a really cool um, climate story. I'm sure she could be an ambassador on climate having witnessed oh, absolutely. changes in the landscapes. But how what is she how does she see herself? She sees herself as an ambassador for women in Morocco, um, inspiring women that they can take on any challenge, particularly in the outdoors. More and more women now are getting into the outdoors in Morocco, but she's now running camps for um, outdoor camps for women. She's taking women, um, young girls up the tallest peak in Morocco. Um, she's taking them on trekking adventures. She really wants to inspire um, inspire anybody, but particularly women, that you, anybody can t- tackle any uh you know, hard endeavor, but particularly getting women involved, not second guessing themselves on, you know, getting, being outdoorsy, being an athlete, um, that if she can do it, anybody can do it. And she so really there's wants not to, really a, a women's climbing culture in Morocco. I mean, I've yet. been there years ago, but yeah, um, it's just developing and it's very, it's very sort of the younger women are starting to get more in the outdoors, but, um, there's, there's not, there hasn't been as much. So she wants to really encourage women to see themselves that they can do it too. She's just such an inspirational person. And I think part of that comes from her journey of just slowly having knocked down all these really challenging, physically and mentally challenging experiences. Um, But like you said, anyone who's been in the mountains a lot definitely runs up against climate change. Um, And so it's, I'm sure she would. 
be able to speak a lot about it. In your um, in your time working with her, did you see changes yourself in the deserts and I places did. you went together? In um, throughout my time in Morocco, through my experiences with Butchera, as well as um, I spent quite a bit of time in the Sahara Desert with the semi-nomadic uh, Berbers. Um, and- they are hard. So I'm also really curious about that because I think the Berber communities are very um, hard to. You don't just wander in and get to be buddies with them. Like how no. do you pull off that? So again reaching out and finding local guides. Usually I do a lot of research online mm-hmm. talking to, I talk to local tourism companies. Um, so you went in through the tourism channels and then made through working with local guides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trying to, um, there's actually through that process, I ended up meeting, uh, uh, amazing woman who spends most of her time in the Sahara. She's actually from France, but just fell in love early on when she was young with the Sahara and Morocco with Morocco. And so with the Berbers, I went and um, met a few of them at nomadic families, um, but also spent quite a bit of time working and, and with the, the young, usually they're young Berber men who have left their families and have gone to work in tourism and um, they are usually the camel guides that, you know, help travelers come into the desert. And I was very curious about their relationship with the camels, with the deserts. And so I spent quite a bit of time just going out and walking through the deserts and um, with them. And what's incredible, so a lot of these, uh, because of the climate is getting hotter, because it's hard, it's hard to begin with to be semi-nomadic. It's really hard to be semi-nomadic with climate change, with the heat, with um, the changing, the, 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 with less water, with le- there's less, you know, the water's drying up in a lot of desert countries like Morocco. Um, and so many of the young men are starting to go into tourism. And the very first time I did this, I uh, headed in the desert with, um, with uh, Ahmed and his camel had had arranged to camp overnight. And so we're waiting for the sun to go down and we're sitting on a dune and we're chatting and I'm asking questions. And he'd been a guide for maybe about two years. I think he was about 19 or 20. His English level was really impressive. He just learned from travelers, just learned from travelers. It was amazing. And partway through, he picks up his cell phone, gets a signal and says, let's become friends on Facebook. And it was just, it reminded me how similar we all are. You know, and here we are in the middle of, you know, no, no man's land and in Morocco. And I'm talking to and this young former gentleman and he got signal right away from the top of this dude. <laughs> and we connected on Facebook and it's, you know, I just, I laugh every time I think about that story because, you know, no matter where you're going, no matter how different you think people are, they are in fact we all are very similar. And and the nomads, they're all on Facebook now. They're all mm-hmm. on Instagram. They, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's fascinating as well, but it's very hard for them to keep doing that. Climate change is, is sort of forcing the nomad people to, um, many of them to leave their lifestyle and they're going into tourism. And that's where, as travelers, we have a tremendous power and ability to both protect places like the Moroccan Sahara Desert by going, by spending our money, by going with a responsible tour company that that does a good job, that, you know, takes care of the desert, and by helping employ um, people that are experts in the desert. The the Berbers, 
the way they can understand the sand is incredible. The way they mm. understand the camels, because the sands in the desert moves and it changes all the time throughout the year. The dunes are never the same. And they just practically, they just are one with the desert. It's amazing to see. And yeah. they get to take that specialty and then make a living off of it versus going and becoming an engineer and in, in, you know, a software mm. engineer in Casablanca or whatnot. I think that's one of the beauties of cultural tourism does right of ecotourism, sustainable tourism is that, you know, we get to take, we can take these unique cultural expertise that these people have and, and expertise on nature, which we're losing so quickly because, you know, as it doesn't get passed along and we get to, it becomes the thing that they can make a living at versus having to shove it all aside, go to the city and sort of try to become one of the masses in the big city. Um, and that's so where, sorry, even, even though we're um, in kind of this, I think we're reimagining tourism. Everybody who Absolutely. works in travel is, trying to reinvent that model. And I know that in some corners, um, people are feeling like travel, that there's more negative to travel than positive. And I love what you're saying because you're kind of bringing out that the, the, the positives of, of travel on people's lives is very significant. And so rather than, you know, stopping travel, it's more like, can we change how we do travel? Absolutely. Can travel be a financial generator? You know, tomorrow's air, we're saying tourism can be a financial supporter for uh, cleaning up our emissions. So it doesn't have to, we don't have to stop. <laughs> Absolutely. Can... It's not one or the other. It's really true. And I see it all the world from Africa, from the Amazon to Morocco, that tourism done right is an incredible tool for protecting these landscapes and giving people that live there a way, like I said, to take their expertise in the land and to be part of the solution. What's next on your agenda? I, I am gathering these, your projects take years to come to fruition before you really see the fullness. What's, um, what are you working on now? What can we look for in the future. Absolutely. So um, obviously stay tuned to tomorrow's air for all of our great artists for air stuff as we try to tell the story. I'm very excited to try and tell the story of, you know, cleaning up the air, removing CO2 from the air, especially using some of the incredible um, technology that is, is out there now. Um, and also highlighting why that's important and these ecosystems that are, that we can see this, this impact in. Um, but I also have projects in the works in the Amazon um, and in Jordan. I've been working with um, a wonderful nonprofit called Amawa, the Amawa Wildlife Sanctuary in the north of Jordan that is um, providing a wildlife sanctuary for um, animals that have been trafficked as well as animals that have been rescued from zoos throughout the region and trying to educate uh, locals throughout Jordan and throughout the region about the importance of protecting wildlife, respecting wildlife, um, you know, respecting nature, what that looks like. Um, and then um, I've got a few other possible projects in uh, the Arctic in Norway that I'd love to get underway, uh, maybe in Mongolia. I'm very interested in landscapes in local communities. Well, Genevieve, thank you so much for taking the time. And I look forward to seeing you in person out on the road in the coming months. 
thanks so much for having me, Christina. It's been a blast to uh, share this with the listeners at Tomorrow's Airs podcast. 